0: We're in our series in the Gospel of Luke, which we're calling Outside In, where we're seeing what Luke wrote to the Gentiles and their communities to encourage them in the faith, and and also to see how Jesus dealt with outsiders and how he pulled them in. We're going to talk about God's love as a centering love and how it takes those that are forgotten and marginalized and makes them central to the conversation of how love works in their lives. So this week is uh, fourth in the series. Jay led us to a better understanding of the story of the Gerasene demoniac last week. That was the wild man, naked, living among the tombs, demons, pigs, all that stuff. He explained it all. If you missed it, there's a podcast or maybe we'll go back to some of that, because um, some of what uh, he said last week kind of um, changed the direction of uh, what I want to do this morning, so I think uh, um, we'll see how that evolved as, as we go through. We're still in Luke 8, and we're going to look at two more encounters of, uh, with Jesus, which are kind of intermixed in the middle of each other in, uh, in Luke chapter 8, so... Let's explore the word of God together. Let's see what he has to teach us. I'm going to pray. Lord, we just ask that you would open your word to us this morning. We ask, Lord, as we um, ponder these texts, that you would help us understand more about you, that you would teach us about yourself and your kingdom, and that uh, you would change our hearts for your glory. In the name of Jesus. So, the whole passage runs from Luke 8, verses 40 to 56. If you uh, want to use a Bible that's uh, sitting there in the pews or some other Bible maybe on your phone, you can you can look that up. It's uh, eight, Luke 8, uh, 40 to 56. And we're going to work through it kind of piece by piece. Uh, so, Luke 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned... A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. If you're like me, some background helps to get into the story and connect with the characters. So I found a map. As, as we as we read last week, Jesus had crossed to the east side of the Lake of Galilee, which was the hill country, which is away from the main Jewish towns, which are on the north and west. So you can see in the map, <coughs> excuse me, um, the lake uh, the, in the middle there is the uh, is the Sea of Galilee, and and kind of north and, and west sides. That side is is um, where most of the Jewish towns are. And on the east side, that side, is um, where the, is the Gerasene area. It's near the border with Syria, um, and it's close to the disputed area, which you often hear on the news, called the Golan Heights. You may, have, uh, you may hear that occasionally. Jesus had traveled over there with his disciples, leaving most of the crowds behind. They didn't really follow him so much across the lake. And that's when uh, and news, but news of what Jesus did with the demon possessed man, the pigs, etc., had spread. But that encounter wasn't something that was um, directly seen by all of them, I don't believe. Then he was returning to the Jewish side of the lake, to the west side of the lake, probably to Capernaum. We don't know exactly. And there were large cloud, crowds, there was uh, excitement, anticipation, there was also some fear. As Jay explained, the domain of the demoniac, the pigs, etc. Um, were an appeasement to Baal. And Jesus had messed with stuff, he'd messed with things that they were quite happy to leave alone. They didn't, um, many of them didn't seem to want this. And now he's come back to, uh, to the, the Jewish towns, which are on the, uh, on the other side of the lake. Jesus is in great demand, and the crowds are all around him, and following him everywhere. In, earlier in Luke, we didn't read it, but earlier in Luke, um, it says his mother and his brothers came to him, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowds. So that gives you a kind of a picture of of what that was like. Can you imagine that, what it was like for Jesus? How do you think Jesus felt about the crowds? Anyone want to offer an answer? How do you think Jesus felt about these crowds around him? Is it a Harry and Meghan situation? I, I was I was thinking as I was thinking about this, I thought I wonder if it's like the paparazzi that um, that people continuously claim about I don't think it was quite like that because you know there's no cameras, and presumably there isn't much press I don't know how that worked, but having all the crowds around must have been overwhelming in in some sense for for Jesus There's a verse in Matthew which is situated around the same time uh, where where it records, um, it says, when he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, a lot of crowds around, maybe you think it was, you know, just frustrated that it's hard to move around and, and there was a lot of demand. But, this word, compassion, um, Matthew uses, is a word that we actually touched on uh, a few weeks back as well. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. How would you describe compassion? It's a word we use, but how would you describe compassion? What is compassion? What would you? What's another word for compassion that you would use? Sorry. Caring. Empathy. Empathy, I heard. Yeah, yeah. So they are still, they're really not. Okay, having concern for their needs. Yeah, I looked around during the week and it dawned on me that compassion, it's, it's kind of two Latin words. Com is together or with and passion is suffering. So the word compassion at its root means together in suffering so i think when we think about compassion we we imagine it as a feeling right that you know we we kind of we wish we could help or something like that but it's more it's more about coming alongside in suffering so there's a there's a more active part to that. Um, sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others is the definition. But to suffer together, I think, is really what the word is, it, it, in the root, it means. To suffer together. It's about being in the midst of suffering with somebody, which is quite a lot more involved than um, than maybe we would normally think of that word. James reminds us that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And Jesus had compassion because, it says, they were harassed. Is it harassed or harassed? All right. Oh, and Harris must be the English part. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, you're on the pond. Okay, you're on the pond again. Harassed, harassed, and harassed, and helpless. Jesus could teach about his Father and the kingdom, and he could heal in particular cases, but we don't think he could end all suffering in the moment. That was not how his mission on earth had to work out, right? This episode is not long before he started to teach his disciples about what was going to happen to him. So, he knew his purpose was a cross in Jerusalem and not an immediate end to all the suffering around him. The path was a different path. And he knew that. There was an additional barrier, I think, which Jay alluded to last week. People did not always want him or what his presence could do. You remember that the Gerasenes on the other side of, l- of the lake had asked him to leave, right? He, dis- he disrupted their deal with Baal by saving the demoniac and sending the demons into swine and then into the sea. His deliverance was too disruptive to their current reality. It upset too many apple carts. It was a bit inconvenient. Heeding someone was good, but somehow the consequences were too much. He unsteadied people. He wasn't a disrup- disruption in the sense of an annoyance. I don't mean it like that. No, like noisy children disrupting your peace, right? Um, But in the sense of being invasive, unraveling, um, reorienting, exposing, maybe even revolutionary, too scary, too hard to control. So, Jesus, they didn't really want to what Jesus had in some instances saying saying yes to Jesus um it was not like getting a health care plan or an insurance it was far more invasive and life changing a new life now through death and for eternity so it's like they wanted the contract but they didn't like the terms and conditions right if you have to deal with contracts at all, or Jesus, heal me, but don't change me. I want to stay as I am, right? So uh, there's, a, there's a bit of that, I think, um, that is mixed in here, which must have been very difficult and frustrating for Jesus because they were beyond his help in the sense that they didn't want it. They, they it was too hard for them to take okay well that's the scene then a man comes to Jesus begging for help and to get the attention of Jesus in this crush of people it needed some determination right so in in Luke 8:41 and we got it there um, it says, Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Jairus was begging. He was imploring. Jairus was not a social outsider. We've been talking about um, outsiders because you know, he was the ruler of, of uh, the synagogue. We don't know exactly which synagogue, but he was a, he was a ruler of the synagogue. Um, maybe it was the synagogue that Jesus had visited. Um, presumably it was close. But as an insider, he has a need that the inside cannot solve. His daughter is dying. And Jairus would do anything to save his daughter. So he's begging. He's imploring. He's on his knees. He's fully prepared to accept any disruption or consequences for God to intervene in his family's life. He's completely ready, right? So Jesus went. Now, there's a second encounter which occurs on the way. It's right in the middle, so we'll go to that, and then we'll come back again to, to Jairus and what happens there. In uh, verse 42, I think, yes, as, the, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. We said there was a big crowd. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and, the, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So, Jesus is already on a mission. And the crowd is pressing around him, desperate but determined Again, this woman comes up behind Jesus, touches his clothes, and immediately is healed. And you might expect Jesus to just continue on to the dying child, but he stops. Jesus was responding to a synagogue leader with a very urgent need: his daughter is dying. So the woman, ad- and the woman would have been another social outcast. She. Um, she would have been outcast in society for this, uh, for this um, flow of blood that had gone on for a long time. But he doesn't rush on, he stops. And he asks a question which the disciples think is laughable. Um, who touched you when presumably there are a lot of people touching him? And, and you can sort of sense in them, it was kind of, well, let's just get on with this. Let's move on to the, to the house of uh, Jairus. But he doesn't. Why do you think Jesus stops and not hurry on? Why do you think he stops to find her? Yeah. Yeah. So you think is he was trying to discern what God is doing? So it's possible that um, he recognises that someone of deep faith um, is close. And therefore he wants to know. But he's stopping here and not going on to the task that was at hand, which is quite, you know, it's an urgent task. Yes, Lord. Yeah, I see you. Okay, so so honoring what is happening and and, uh, also the faith of this person. Okay. For me, three things about this passage which I think we need to observe. First of all, the, the state of the woman. This woman is desperate, right? It's been... It's been 12 years, nothing's working. She's unclean. It seems pretty well all of the time. So she's cast out. And she's not seeking to impose any condition here. She just wants to be healed, whatever it takes. So disruption is acceptable. You can put it that way. She's desperate. The second is the consent of Jesus. This healing was not a conscious decision of Jesus. It it just happened. So, maybe Jesus wanted to see what his father was up to. Because he recognized that power had gone out. But he hadn't decided in any way that this should happen. But yet it had. So... I wonder that maybe Jesus his his real reason for stopping is perhaps that the, his father is at work, and he wants to understand what his father is doing, so he asks to to, uh, to try and find this uh, this woman that uh, that had experienced this healing. The other thing that I think is very important in this passage is Jesus is not too busy. His disposition is not too busy. I, am, I do not have a more urgent task. This is where I am now. I oh, hope this doesn't um, make you laugh too much, because this, this is stupid then and it's stupid now. As a young believer, when I was around 20 years old, I think, I remember that I used to feel quite selfish about my relationship with God. I'd become a Christian a couple of years earlier, and I was really enjoying a relationship with God. And I didn't want to share him. In my head, he was mine. And if too many other people got to know about him, he'll be too busy in other people's stuff, and it won't be the same. I see, I told you you'd laugh. Yeah. This is very peculiar, I know. It's, it, it makes no sense it's, uh, anymore now. But I really remember feeling that way. Our God is always with us. He's never distracted or too busy. He's always caring, yeah. loving, and ready to accept us into a closer relationship. Come back to that in a moment, because then what happens? Let's read the next verse. While Jesus was still speaking... Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Oh no, too late. This, now, now a person from the house of Jairus is speaking, but it's the same thinking. Jesus should have other pressing things to do now. He's too busy Don't bother him with lost causes. Do you hear it? It's the same thinking. Jesus is busy. Um, So let him go and do something else. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Does God have more pressing problems than yours? He does not. A key message in this story is that Jesus is not too busy. The synagogue ruler does not trump the sick and the unclean woman. Death does not trump the needs of Jairus and his family. The fundamental nature of our God, our our Father in heaven, is that he is faithful. I don't mean full of faith. I mean loyal, steadfast, worthy of trust. He He walks with us always. Even when we're suffering and things are not going the way we would have hoped because he is compassionate. I would say he walks even closer with us when we're suffering or in need. I've noticed that for many people, it's when they're going through a hard time or suffering most that they feel that God is closest. God's faithfulness should be shouted from the rooftops, right? He is taking care of me when I didn't know I needed to be taken care of and blessed me with life and health and family beyond whatever I could imagine. He is faithful. I have never in nearly 50 years felt that God has let me down or forsaken me. I'm sure many of you would testify the same. Uh, i faced hard situations, but there's never been a doubt in my mind that God is walking beside me and even in front of me preparing the way. Some of you remember the story of how I lost my job 12 years ago. Anybody still remember that? I do. (laughs) Um, The company that moved me to the U.S. decided they had to cut back and executed a reduction in force. So suddenly... I was out of a job and in a country where I didn't have much of a history or network of professional contacts. And it was a very uncertain time for me and my family, but it only lasted about 10 days. God had prepared a way in advance. I had a comparable position even before my previous employer had finished paying me to the end of the month. I looked back and thought, God, so you knew this was happening. And this other position comes up, and now I'm being paid by two people simultaneously. This is weird. (laughs) He is faithful. He walks with us always, and he's never too busy. Let's go on with the story, shall we? In verse 50. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. And meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. A spirit returned, and at once she, he, she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Mark, In Mark's gospel, we have the same story, and uh, um, Jesus takes her by the hand and says, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, get up, uh, it's Aramaic. So her parents were astonished, you know, and so are we. Jesus was in time, even though she was dead. Um, and the t- distraction along the way did not change the outcome either. So God's centering love met both the woman and, and the family of Jairus in their respective needs, regardless of their social standing, regardless of their circumstance, because the new kingdom is for all. Let's speculate a bit. Will you indulge me for a moment? I want to speculate about what happened for the woman and for Jairus beyond what Luke records. We don't know, because it doesn't tell us in the Bible. But, thinking about these these two people, what do you think happened next? If there was an epilogue, risen one. If there was an epilogue, what do you think it would have said? First, the woman. Do you think she went back to her life the way it was before her illness started and never looked for Jesus again? No? Why not? For everyone is dead? Okay, Yes. What else has changed, do you think, apart from her health? So she's not bleeding anymore. Has anything else changed, do you think? You have to speculate. We don't know for sure. She will be welcomed back, yes. She's had an encounter with Jesus that is life-changing, isn't it? So, she was healed, but I also think that she was transformed into a new reality because God touched her and touched her life intimately. She has seen the kingdom. She has been healed. Something miraculous has been done for her. So she heard of Jesus, she sought him out, she pushed away to him in desperation. She's not just healed, she's renewed. Her life is disrupted, right? It's different for her now because of this experience that she's gone through. I can imagine she continued to follow Jesus, um, listened to his teachings, maybe even was at the cross, a year or so later, there is a, a Roman Catholic tradition that this woman was named Veronica and that she did go to the cross and she was the person who put the veil on Jesus' face and got the impression. We have no idea if that's correct, right? That's a, that's a tradition in, in the Roman Catholic Church. But it, it fits for me with what I feel is happening to this woman in, in this uh, episode. She's not just healed, she's renewed, she's changed because she has encountered Jesus. What about Jairus? Did he just go on with his life the way it was? uh, You're right, the joy would have been incredible. I mean, Jairus was an insider, but his family's salvation did not come from an insider, right? Not from a member of the religious establishment. Um, his daughter wasn't healed at the temple, um, at, the synagogue, or at the synagogue, or the prayers of the synagogue rulers, or anything like that. His family was restored by Jesus, who was a nomadic teacher who was saying and doing radical things. So I can imagine that he is still a ruler of the synagogue, but he is changed. His life and that of his family is disrupted. It's new because of what has happened, because of what Jesus has done. For me, Jairus too has seen the new kingdom. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Right? That was the message for John the Baptist. He has seen the new kingdom, the new has come. And we've been calling this the disruptive lordship of Jesus. Encountering, encountering Jesus is life-changing. It's not just a fix. It doesn't work that way. One of my favorite verses is, uh, is this one in Colossians. I'm, um, I'm not going to try and explain all of it. It says, quite simply, For you have died, and your life is hidden... With Christ in God. It's kind of tricky to parse out in it. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I put it to you that that is what the woman experienced and what Jairus and his family experienced. Jesus has touched them and their lives are not the same anymore. The encounter with Jesus has shown them a new reality what they knew about life has now been so fundamentally changed. It's like they've, been, they've died and, born, and been born again into something new. They're changed. He has touched them. You Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again, he said. Nicodemus was puzzled. But it captured what Jesus was about. He's not just a healer. He's a savior. He's the giver of new life. This is how um, uh, Paul puts it in in Corinthians, a familiar verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. We should not expect an encounter with Jesus to just match our agenda and only touch or fix the things we want help with the old has passed away the new has come it's not going to be that we just get what we want it's going to be that we get what we need in Christ it's a fundamental change for us it's an encounter with Jesus that is life changing and there's a letting go and a taking up of the new as well. Jairus and the woman were desperate for Jesus to intervene and fully ready to move forwards into a new reality, to accept whatever comes to allow God to allow God in and to experience his kingdom. Uh, in the next chapter, I don't think we're going to read it um, in the coming weeks, but in the next chapter... Jesus says this, he says to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The woman could have gone on paying money to physicians or have reasoned that getting to Jesus was just too difficult or Um, or seeking out was beneath her dignity but she was ready to risk everything and determined to push forwards and go wherever that would lead the disruptive lordship of Jesus whatever he touches as we let him do that we are changed can be uncomfortable but it's always good and he's always alongside us as the one who is compassionate and merciful, never distracted or too busy, always full of care and compassion. God is the real deal. You can't just take the benefits you want. He wants you. And he's never too busy. He's cares for us always. And it can be scary, but he brings new life in its fullness. I'm going to end with a good news statement instead of start with it. That's upside down, but there you go. The good news this morning is that our God is always with us. He's never distracted or too busy. He is always caring, loving, and ready to accept us into a closer relationship. Encountering Jesus is life changing, and He walks with us every step of the new way He has made possible. Let's pray.